0: Welcome to the Providence Church Podcast. We are continuing our Galatians series with a message from Pastor Dwight about Paul's testimony of how he came to know Jesus. For more Providence Church, visit us online at profchurch.net. That's provchurch.net. That's church.net. Let's get into it. Now, Every, every single one of us uh, has a testimony. Uh, it's the story of how you came to know Jesus Christ. And you have, many of you, if not all of you, have a story about how that happened and what God did in your life, how he intervened or showed himself to you and and the changes that he is working in your life since. Because a big part of following Christ is that our lives are changed In in some ways dramatically, in some ways maybe just not so dramatically, but consistently over time, God making us more like himself, more like his son. There's a, a, a great story. Many of you have heard the story, perhaps, about a man named John Newton, who was in the 1700s, uh, lived in that time period. He was raised in a Christian home. Uh, his mother died when he was quite young. John was about seven years old when his mother died. And his father got remarried, and, and he was kind of shuffled around places. His father was a sea faring man and would sail. And so he wasn't always home. And so John spent time in those formative years being shuffled around different places. And uh, his dad, I think, died when he was a teenager at, at that point. And John had a dream to be a sailor. And eventually, because of the fallout of being shuffled from place to place, he, he joined the British Navy and he got into, into some trouble. And he uh, later he went AWOL From the Navy. He got involved in the slave trade, uh, the Portuguese slave trade, and eventually he became almost a slave himself to the alcohol that he gave himself over to. He was a big uh, drinker. He used to boast that he could cuss for almost an hour straight without repeating himself. That sounds hard to do, you know, an hour without using the same word over and over and over again. He boasted about that. Not a single word. Years later, after a very difficult set of circumstances, uh, John Newton went back to England. And there he gave his life to Jesus Christ. And he, he remembered the Bible verses that were planted in his heart by his mother. And after he came to know the Lord, his testimony was written in a song that was about his experience of coming to Christ. And you know the song, you sing the song. It is titled Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, he said, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. He knew his wretchedness before God. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. And that was his testimony that we all sing Regularly, hundreds of years later. Eventually, John Newton became a pastor, and he led the fight to abolish slavery across the British Empire and was able to live just long enough to see the vote in Parliament. It was led by William Wilberforce. Many of you have heard that name, Wilberforce, and that legally abolished the African slave trade across the British Empire in 1807. And John died just months uh, after that vote was taken. Uh, He was able to see that happen. The Apostle Paul, long before John Newton, had quite a testimony, quite a story. His life was radically changed and transformed through an encounter with Jesus Christ. You know it as on the road to Damascus, Acts chapter 9. That bright light comes. The voice from heaven comes. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you hunting down my people? Why are you? you, And so he reveals himself, and and Saul is humbled and falls to his knees and and repents of his sin and and is sent to Ananias' house, and, and the story goes on. But it completely reoriented his life. And now that same man from Saul to Paul is writing to the church in Galatia as we're moving through this summer series. And he is facing opposition as he writes. Uh, There's a, a group called the Judaizers. I think Pastor Chuck mentioned them perhaps last week as he started the series. The Judaizers have come and they are calling his life and his apostleship, and his teaching into question. Uh, The Judaizers actually worked. They they, they didn't plant churches like Paul did and the other apostles. They went around two churches and tried to create confusion. They stirred things up. They tried to infiltrate and tried to discredit Paul. And so he is writing in Galatians to remind them of this truth and us. And basically it's this, the message that I preach is the message that changed my life. I'm preaching something I know firsthand about. God has, has made himself known to me in a powerful way. And that's what I'm declaring who this God is. So if you have your Bible this morning, Galatians chapter one is where we're headed today. And I invite you to turn, follow along. Again, Pastor Chuck started us off last Sunday in the first 10 verses. And so we'll pick it up there beginning this morning in verse 11 as Paul is writing, uh, again, defending uh, what God has done in his life. And so he says, verse 11, I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel that I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. This direct ministry of the Lord into his heart and mind. Verse 13, for you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and to try to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, verse 15, this is now going back to Acts chapter 9, but when God who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. I'm an apostle. There are others, but the ones before, I didn't go to see them, but I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter, and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing to you is no lie. It's the truth. And later I went to Syria and Cilicia. By the way, Cilicia is where Tarsus is, Saul of Tarsus, it's his hometown. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report about me. And here's the report: the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And verse 24, the summary, and they praise God because of me. The testimony of his life was, was resounding across the the really the then known world, but that region of the world that this message was getting out about this zealot, this persecutor, this guy who was jailing Christians, killing them, and now he's preaching the very Christ that he came to destroy at one point. So Paul, in his defense, and Chuck used the word last week, polemic. I don't know if you were tuning in, but like, wow, that's a big word, right? Polemic, this argument, this defense. And Paul is, is is countering the Judaizers. They have been uh, infiltrating the church again. If you look at earlier in chapter one there, verses, this is going back to last week, verses six and seven, Paul says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and you are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. So he's addressing that. And the Judaizers, uh, this is how they understood it. It's faith in Jesus Christ plus the law of Moses that leads to salvation. So you have your faith in Christ, but you also have to keep the law and honor the law in order to be saved. And so it was Jesus plus. Now there are modern day Judaizers as well. And we need to always be aware. People who advocate, yeah, faith in Christ is good, but there's more. It's faith in Christ plus good works. Or faith in Christ plus special knowledge. Or faith in Christ plus spiritual attainment. Or faith in Christ plus you need to be baptized in our church or faith in Christ plus membership in our church. You have to belong in order to. And so there's a lot of requirements that people have been tempted to put on top of the one true gospel, which is Jesus Christ, faith in him alone, trust in his saving work on the cross alone, by his grace alone, through his blood alone. This is the message of the gospel that Paul was passionately preaching among the churches in that day. So modern-day Judaizers. Paul says, I want you to know this is not man's gospel, he says. I did not receive it from man. I wasn't taught it. It came through revelation from Jesus Christ himself. And so there's a couple out, on, your, on your outline there. There's a couple blanks. I want you to understand that Paul is saying this is not an invent. What I'm sharing with you, he's saying, is not an invention. It's not fabricated. It's not made up by my own clever thinking. I didn't just sit down one day and devise this clever message of the gospel. Because actually the question really is, would anyone come up with this? God dying on a cross? Really? Is that the answer? Is that the saving plan? That God himself comes down to give his life for as, an, as a sin off, is that what, who would come up with that? No one could come up with that. God came up with that. In fact, Paul says in First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, he says, what? For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. It doesn't make any human sense, this message about the cross. But to to us who are being saved, it is the, he says, it is the power of God. How do do you receive power from God? By embracing and receiving and accepting the gift. That's how. In fact, he goes on to say it's the wisdom of God. Man's, Man's wisdom is like foolishness, but God's wisdom prevails. And that what a passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The wisdom of the cross. So he says, this is not an invention, what I'm sharing with you. I'm not making this up. Secondly, he said, it's not, in a sense, it's not a tradition. I haven't, this has not been handed down to me. It wasn't handed down by the church or by others. In fact, the Gospels, if you realize this, and I've been looking into this this week, the Gospels at this point in history, uh, many believe Paul, I think Chuck referred to this, Paul wrote this, one of his earliest letters. Probably 50, 51, 52 AD, early letter. Uh, The Gospels, many as we study the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, believe they were written in the early 60s. So this is still, the the stories of Jesus are still being transmitted person to person to person around the, the, the world at this point. All that the apostles saw and witnessed, now they're sharing, but it hasn't formally been written down yet. Paul's not going, let me look up what Matthew says. Let me, let me see, how, how did Luke, he, he doesn't have that yet. This is, this is still to come. So, he, so he's, he's writing as the, as the church history is being fleshed out. And he said, this is not, a, I'm not giving you a tradition. This is, in fact, thirdly, this is, it is, and it was a revelation. God made it known to me. He made it known to Paul. And the Damascus road encounter was certainly a part of that. That was the first step. That's where it started when he was humbled on the road and sent to Ananias' house. And and isn't it interesting? He was blind for three days. This guy who thought he could see so clearly the truth was passionate about the truth, was committed to the truth, but reality was blind. And I I find it ironic that God physically was he was blind, blinded for those three days until Ananias came and prayed over him late in the chapter. And then his eyes were opened spiritually and physically, he was able to see the truth and was set free. So there's that time. And then we'll talk about the three years in Arabia a little bit later here this morning, but Paul is emphatically emphatically declaring that this is not his message. This is God's message. This is not his gospel. This is God's gospel. And he's declaring this to those who, who are throwing darts at him or who are, casting aspersions on him, who are, who are trying to create confusion around who he is and his calling. And so he's very passionately declaring, this is what, this is the story. This is the truth about what has happened. A big part of what Paul is outlining for his defense comes in verses 13 and 14 and 15 and 16, because he refers to his, in that section, he refers to his BC days, his before Christ life. And Paul, as you know, never did anything half-hearted. When he was a Jewish leader uh, and a Pharisee, and he says, I was a Pharisee among the Pharisees. In fact, if you look, if you turn, this, the, the, the essence of how Paul functioned is seen well in Philippians. And just take a couple pages, go to your, go to your right. In Philippians chapter 3, there's an awesome section there as well. And he's writing to the church in Philippi as well. And isn't it interesting, if you look at verse 2, I'm going to start in verse 2, because just see the overlap here. He says, watch out for those dogs, <laughs> those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh, those, for, it is, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God. He's talking about those who are, again, requiring circumcision to, to, to be saved, emphasizing the law to be saved. He's saying that's not God's plan. And so he says, "Is we who glory in Christ, Jesus, who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. And then he goes on for a little, he says, if anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the right day. I was on on the eighth day. Good Jewish boys, the proper way, the right way. I was circumcised on that, the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law of Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church, I was so zealous I went after him. As for legalistic righteousness, I was faultless. I mean, he's basically doing a little bragging there to make a point because he's going to say all that's well, he goes on to say that all oh, that is just scubala to me. It's it's refuge, It's dung. It's manure. Because now i know, now my, now my heart is to know Christ. My aim is to know Him, to make Him, to know Him and to make Him known. So all that was that I gloried in at one point. Go on. So here he's writing to the Galatians and he's talking about his prior life. And so he, he, he was always all in. In fact, later as a preacher, as a church planner, as a leader in the church, he, he was always all in. That's Paul. We love that about Paul. He, was, he told the Corinthians, I'm running to win. I'm not running for second prize. I'm running to, to cross the tape and I don't want to be disqualified. We talked about that a few weeks ago in our prior series. I love what John Wesley said. John Wesley said, I like my religion like my tea. I want it hot. Don't you love that? John Wesley. I like my religion like my tea. Hot. That's Paul. He was always running hot. Whether he was zealous as a Pharisee, and when God got a hold of him, then he was hot for the gospel, for the things of Christ. And we know that radicals can be dangerous. But do you know this too, radicals also can be life-giving. What they bring to the body of Christ is life-giving. You know, I think about, I was thinking a lot about Bill, my brother-in-law, and he was, when Heather met him as she was in high school at the time, she said, wow, this guy came in with his trench coat on, this long blonde hair, like a ponytail, like a big shave. And he was like, he was radical. And he was, he was a Jesus lover, And he led their family to Christ. He pointed them to Christ. He was so passionate about the things of God. They like dominoes started to fall like one after the other, after the others came to know Christ and accept him as savior. But Bill was the revolution. He was the radical that came to the door and said, hey, you need to believe. You need to trust. And he was unapologetic about that. And so his, 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 his life and his radicalness infected. And, that, and that's what when God uses people. So there's Paul. In fact, Jesus himself, right? Uh, there's a great song. Um, Some say death to the radical. He's way out of line. Right? So, so, so they wanted to kill Jesus because he was a radical. And so Paul's in good company. And he brought life everywhere he went. Truth. The intersection of truth came to life. If there was a yearbook posting for Saul, the yearbook posting probably would have said, most unlikely to convert, right? Back in the day, before he came to Christ. Paul was raised, Saul was raised in the the Greek culture of Tarsus, a thoroughly Greek community and town. He went to the best schools as a boy. He was, he was raised in schools. In fact, some say they were like the Ivy League schools of our day, the Ivy League of that day, that era. Went to the great schools. He, he was a Roman citizen. He knew, he knew Roman law, law, law quite well. In fact, as you see in Acts, he, he appeals to the, the, the authority Roman authority for his trial. He is a Jewish leader. He, is, he studied under Gamaliel, and Gamaliel was one of the leading rabbis of the day. In fact, Gamaliel is mentioned in the Gospels when Jesus is being crucified. Gamaliel is involved in that whole conversation, that scene. And Gamaliel, along with many of the Pharisees, were opposed to the way. They called the early Christians followers of the way. Jesus said, I am the way way. And so before they were Christians, they were followers of the, the way. And so a Gamaliel and those Jewish leaders were uh, opposed to the way. So Paul, Saul, grows up in that environment. He's opposed to the way before God gets a hold of him. He was not satisfied with persecuting the church. He was actually bent on destroying it. He wanted to stamp it out. John Stott says Paul was a was violent and savage in his grim work of hunting down Christians. He was a bigot and a fanatic, wholehearted in his devotion to Judaism and in his persecution of Christ and the church. And Stott says, Now a man in that mental and emotional state is in no mood to change his mind or even to have it changed for him by by men. No conditioned reflex or other psychological device could convert a man in his state. Only God could reach him, and God did. And so there's the encounter in Acts chapter 9 where Paul is literally stopped in his tracks on the way to hunt down more Christians on the road. Stopped in his tracks. Damascus, where Paul was headed was 160 miles north of Jerusalem. It's a long way by horseback. Uh, I did some math thinking about that even this morning early. You know, I know how long it takes to get to Breezewood on the turnpike if you're going west. It's past Breezewood from here. That's a long way to go to hunt down some rabble rousers. But that's what Paul, he was so committed to to destroying the church. He was going to go anywhere it took him, anywhere he could to find Christians and destroy them. It reminds all of us this truth, that you can be sincere and you can be sincerely wrong. This was Paul's testimony before Christ. There's a guy named Hitler who was very sincere about his commitment to create a perfect race, and six million Jews perished at the hands of a man who was very sincerely committed to his path. Stalin was another, the 9-11 terrorists that were sincerely committed to destroying America and <laughs> flew the planes into the towers in the Pentagon. They were very sincere, but sincerely wrong. Note the contrast between Verses 13 and 14 and 15 and 16. It is actually dramatic. In 13 and 14, Paul is speaking about himself. He says, I persecuted the church. I tried to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond all others. I, I, I. This was Paul's frame of reference. And then after God intercepts him in Acts chapter 9, and he is converted, then it's God He says, it was God who set me apart before I was born, verse 15. It was God who called me through his grace. It was God who was pleased to reveal his son to me and in me. God, God, God. So the frame of reference switches from me to God. Part of his story, his testimony of conversion. And prayerfully, our story that we are often very self-absorbed focused people and we're very concerned about us. And when God comes, God, help me to see things through your eyes. Help me to understand what you're doing. Help me to see the, the history and my story through what you are accomplishing. Not, it's not about me, it's about you. And so Paul gets a clear vision of that. Piper says it this way, he says, Paul closes this section by pointing out how complete and astonishing his conversion was from persecutor to preacher, from one ready to kill Christians to one ready to be killed as a Christian, from one who heard in the Christian message a threat to everything he stood for, to one who now had a vision for the gospel that blew his Pharisaism to smithereens. Jesus Christ, alive from the dead, met Paul on the Damascus road manifested to him the truth of the gospel and called him into service as an apostle. An apostle literally means sent one. Apostolos in the Greek means sent ones. Paul is a sent one. I'm sending you to the Gentiles, God said in Acts chapter 9. Here's the thing. Every effect in the world must have an adequate cause. The law of cause And effect. Paul's life and the radical change that he experienced was caused by having met Jesus Christ. And Christianity, and this is a note for all of us, for you and for me Christianity is not about making a slight adjustment, it is a total change of our nature. What did Jesus say in John chapter three? You must be born again, born of the spirit. There's a work of God in your life and who you were and who you're going to become are two very different things. In fact, the the word of the gospel is Jesus comes saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent of your turn from your way and follow God's way. And then Paul comes along and says, the old has gone. The new has come. God's taking off the old from you, and he's bringing new to you. So this is a change of nature. This is not just kind of slight adjustment. The gospel requires a total revolution of our hearts. And God's working from the time of our conversion and our acceptance of Christ all the way till he takes us to heaven. He's working that revolution in us. It is powerful. It is life-changing. It is eternity-altering. And so it's no small thing. And Paul says, I'm, I'm writing to you in Galatia because someone's trying. they're trying to tip up the apple cart here. They're trying to make you believe something that's not. And I want you to know that part of the truth that I'm conveying to you is that I have experienced this firsthand. My life has been overturned. My life was revolutionized. And so he's very passionate about making that. Difference. This is who I was and this is who I am now. And I love that. When you are thinking about your testimony, it may not be dramatic. In fact, one of the sweetest testimonies is the ability of God to keep us through our whole lives. If you grew up in a home where you learned the gospel as a child or a young person, teenager, from parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, people around you, and you received that by faith, and then God has had his hand on you, And you're still walking with him in your 30s, your 40s, your 50s, your 60s. Praise, praise, praise. You don't need a dramatic story to verify the truth of how God has kept you. He has done his awesome work in your life. And I'm so thankful when that's your story. Some of you might have a more radical story. Some some of us are more hard-headed and hard-hearted. Paul was one of those guys. Saul was one of those guys. He needed, he needed a boom, an encounter. And sometimes you need an encounter to jolt you out, to wake you up spiritually. It happens. We've got a lot of people with stories like that in the body. Praise God for that work. But don't minimize the power of God in your life, how he has brought you, whatever he has brought you through, how he has shown himself to you, whatever those circumstances are, dramatic or not, they are God. It is his work, his hand, his spirit, his truth shaping you and making you who you are. And so, I'm so I just want to encourage you to think about that in your own heart this morning. Salvation is a gift from God. And we receive it. And so this series all summer long, uh, we've, we've called it the core of the gospel. Galatians is like the core because it's, this is what Paul's emphasizing. Hey, there's one gospel, one, one declaration of really good news is that Jesus Christ died for you and gave his life for you. And that's how you receive, excuse me, receive the salvation you you long for and desire. Mm. The next section uh, deals with Paul's preparation time. And he talks in verse 17 about the time in Arabia. Isn't that interesting? After some time goes by, he is converted in Damascus, Spends a little bit of time in Damascus. Actually, if you read Acts chapter nine, he spends a little time preaching Christ in Damascus, and then goes to Jerusalem for a short season. And they don't know—they don't know what to do with him. He's not very welcome there because he's been killing a lot of followers of the way. So, you know, now Barnabas comes along and says, "Hey, now I I can—I can vouch for this guy. I love Barnabas. I can vouch. This is God's work." This is not, this is, he's not playing, he's not pretending, he's not trying to manipulate, this is true. I've seen it, I've heard it, I've watched what God's doing and so he vouches for, for Saul but then the heat gets turned up in Jerusalem on him and that's where the story in Acts chapter nine where they let him down at night in a basket. Remember that? At night, he's kind of, they're, they're afraid for his, his life and so they put him in a basket and put him over the wall at night so he can escape and then it's off to uh, the next part of the journey, they send him back. But Paul talks about his time of preparation, this time in Arabia. He seems to have gone there for a time in quiet, for a time in quiet and solitude, to spend time with the Lord, who equipped him with the full content of his message. My sense is that the early preaching Paul did in Damascus and Jerusalem was about Jesus Christ and him crucified and risen again. Like the basic gospel. But think about the depth of his letters to the Romans, to the Galatians, to the Ephesians, to the Philippians, to the Colossians, Corinthians first and second, Thessalonians first and second and more. But his fully developed theology, his Christology, what he taught about Christ his eschatology—what he talks about the end times—he talks about the bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ. How does he know about that? How does he know in First Thessalonians chapter four that at the end uh, the trumpet's going to sound and Christ is going to come back through the clouds and the dead in Christ will rise? And how does he know? Because God, Jesus revealed it to him in this time in Arabia. I'm fully convinced of that. That those three years were a teaching time that Jesus imparted the truths that he would share in his letters that we read that were from Christ himself. You know, the disciples spent how many years with Jesus? Three. How many years with Paul in Damascus? Three. It's not a coincidence to me. It was a time of preparation and equipping that Paul needed so that he could, when he's writing, as we're reading the letters that he writes, he's got a fully developed theology because he's received it from the Lord himself. God has has imparted that to him. He stayed there for three years. He undoubtedly meditated on the Old Testament script. He knew the Old Testament quite well, but now he's seeing it through the lens of Christ, not just the law. But hey, how about 300 plus messianic prophecies that the Old Testament speaks of that are fulfilled in Christ? So he starts to meditate on all that. This Messiah has been talked about for centuries, and he begins to understand more deeply what that means. He also meditates probably on the facts of the life and death of Jesus that he knew and his experience of conversion as well. And the Holy Spirit revealed to him the gospel in its fullness. And let me say this, the truth, that Jesus equips all of us when he calls us. And here's what I want you to know this morning. You are called. It's not just the guy who stands up front, not just the missionaries that go out, not just the Sunday school teachers, not just the elders. All of you, if you're in Christ, you're called. And so all of us need equipped and prepared to do what God's called us to do, what he's called you to do. Don't miss, this is the New Testament pattern that he equips those that he calls. And it's not just formal education. Paul had a lot of formal education, but I'm talking about Equipping with everyday life and personal study and being in groups and life groups and Sunday school classes and learning God's word together. I'm talking about being equipped through trials and crises in your life. I'm talking about faith-deepening experiences where we draw on the truth and the promises of God. They become real to us. It's a part of God's equipping. We are able to share and give testimony through those experiences. And so that this is God's plan for you. Paul had his equipping time. The disciples had their equipping time. But you and I also have our preparation time when God's getting us. And maybe some of you have already been through it, but maybe you're in the middle of it now where God's preparing you for a ministry, a, 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 a calling that he is, wants to walk out in your life. And so don't underestimate the preparation time. Embrace it. You know, I, I I spent three years in seminary. I loved it, but it's papers and tests and then, and then it's, you know a lot of stuff going. I'm thankful for it, but that wasn't the only preparation I received. There was a lot. There's been a lot more since then of my own digging in, living through life praying and understand what God's doing in situations in people's heart. So he's been, he's been equipping me the whole way, preparing me the whole way. And he's doing the same for you. So whatever God's put you to do, know that preparation is a part of it. Equipping. Embrace it. And then he, ta- he talks about in, in 18 and 19, it is not likely uh, that Paul obtained his understanding of the gospel. He went for two weeks, 15 days up to Jerusalem to, to spend time with Peter He wanted to get to know Peter better. I I, I put in my notes, imagine that visit. I would have loved to have been in the room, a fly on the wall when Peter and Paul were together for 15 days. You know, wow. Two of the men that God used mightily to build his church around the world. And there they are, 15 days together. Wow, talk about some Airbnb time. They would have had time to talk about Jesus and his ministry, but not enough time to outline a systematic theology. Paul is talking, he's saying, I I, I didn't get all this from these guys. I mean, I went only there for 15 days. So the things that I'm sharing about to you are beyond that. Okay, Peter, I got I got to spend time with Peter, thankful for it, but. And James was there, the Lord's brother, James, the one who wrote the book, he was there too. I spent a little time with him, but I didn't have a systematic theology class with these guys. This was God's download to me by the spirit. Hmm. John Stott says, to sum up, Paul's first visit to Jerusalem was only after three years. It lasted only two weeks and he saw only two apostles. It was therefore ludicrous to suggest that he obtained his gospel from the Jerusalem apostles. And then he finishes it out talking about the visit to Syria and Cilicia, his hometown of Tarsus. If you do the math, three years in Damascus, many scholars believe that he also then spent seven years back in Tarsus in that area. And so about 10 years, when they call for him in Acts chapter 11, there's the, the Christians in Antioch. This is where they were first called Christians. They need discipled. And Barnabas goes to Tarsus to find Saul and bring him down to help. So what what we're understanding is almost about a 10-year span of time where Paul was being prepared for what God had for him. Hmm. And he says, as a result, he was not known by the believers in Judea. They only knew him by hearsay and, and rumor. They heard about this guy. They were hearing the story of his conversion and transformation and that he was now a preacher of the gospel and the very people he had tried to silence and destroy and now he's, he's advancing the message. And then the outcome in verse 24, and they praised God because of me. What God had done in his life. He says, my apostolic credentials, just so you know, are because of God. It's what he revealed to me. It's what he did in me and what he has established in my calling. And so it's all him. And I love because our confidence in the gospel is in God and what he has done in the lives of his people. And so here's Paul giving testimony to that. I'm so thankful for this. It's a, a great section. I'm, you may not spend a lot of time in this part of Galatians chapter one. And I, I found it fascinating. Great study t- this week. And I pray it encourages your heart about the, how you can anchor into the truth of God, knowing what he has done and what he's done in your life and what he's set in motion and how he's preparing you and equipping you for what he wants you to do because you have a calling. He did that for Paul, he'll do it for you and what he wants you to execute on to walk out. Thank you for listening to this latest sermon. For more Prof. Church, check out our YouTube at Prof. Church Lancaster. Follow us on Facebook at Prof. Church Life, on Instagram at Prof. Church or visit our website, profchurch.net. Thank you for listening and be sure to make it a great day.